Well, beloved, take your Bible and join me again in the book of Jude. I hear a few pages turning already. It's a second to last book in our Bibles right before Revelation. Jude, just 25 verses. We looked at the first four last week, and God willing, we'll get through the next 12. I've bitten off a lot for one week today, um, but I think we can do it. Also, just want to warn you, any biblical, any faithfully biblical sermon has a, it should have the, the, the potential to step on toes. Our subject matter this morning has the potential to step on some toes. So um, that's how it goes, though, because the Holy Spirit uses His sword to penetrate even to the division of bone and marrow. And uh, that's how it goes. Uh, by way of review, we'll read it in just a minute, but by way of review, last Sunday we saw that Jude, the brother of Jesus, wrote the letter. Remember, though, that he didn't identify himself that way. He identified himself as the brother of James, one of his other brothers, um, who was a prominent leader amongst that early group of Jewish believers. But when it came to Jesus, Jude didn't call himself his brother. He called himself his slave. And, and that is how we... Look to Jesus as well. You may not think that way all the time, but we are slaves of Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. And Paul identifies himself that way, and we are called that throughout the, the, the New Testament. But Jude wrote this to the called, and uh, that's primarily Jewish believers, and he was very familiar with them. And, and he exhorted them to do what? To contend earnestly for the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. The faith, and we looked at that last week, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, He has died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He has been buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the called, the saved, if you are saved with me this morning, you are commanded, we must contend earnestly for the faith. And why? Because certain persons had crept in unnoticed, verse 4, marked out long beforehand for condemnation, turning the grace of God into sensuality, which is basically a license to sin, a license to live according to feelings, a license to live according to fleshly desires. And they were denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ, our only Master, God. So they, they crept in unnoticed. They masquerade as believers. They, they speak and walk and talk in Christian. And they permeated those early Jewish assemblies of believers and they permeate believers all over the world today as well. So that's the who, the what, and the why of Jude. Today we move on to, to dig more into what we must contend against. What we must contend against. So I ask you, to stand in reverence to the public reading of the Word of God. And we are going to start in verse 4, just for a little bit of context, and read through verse 16 this morning. And this is what the Word of God says. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long ago before, long <coughs> beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, 
but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds unto, in, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme glorious ones. But Michael the archangel, when he disputing with the devil, was arguing about the body of Moses, <coughs> did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, for they pay they for, for and for pay they have poured themselves out into the air of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. But Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They, these are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust, and their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit." The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. We come and I pray that you would make our hearts attentive to the truth. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to perceive the glory of the gospel of grace as it is contrasted against the evil attacks which come against your holy name, your son, and your people. I pray you'll be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, beloved, if, uh, if verses 1 through 4 were an introduction to Jude and remind us to contend earnestly for the faith because there are those in and around us trying to corrupt the faith, if those verses show us the who, the what, and the why of Jude, these verses show us the how, and they also show us how false teachers do it, and they show us what they are doing, and they show how, how they turn the grace of God into a license to sin, how they deny our Master and Lord. And most importantly, they show us what God has done, what God is doing about it, and what God will do about them. So let's look first at the past. We're talking about the past, the present, and the future this morning. Let's see first from the past how Jesus has judged those who rejected him in the past. Because we think of Jesus, most of the world thinks of Jesus as this, this moral teacher. He is love. He is holy. Come, uh, come to him. He's merciful. He's, he's meek and mild. Beloved, that is 
not even close to the full Jesus. We see in verse 5 that uh, the Jewish readers reading this, they would have known their history. They would have known Israel's history because the, the scriptures they had were replete with examples of how the Lord had in the past judged false teachers and judged those who follow after them. So they would have known their history and they should have learned from their history about how God deals with such people. They should have known. Beloved, one of the, one of the reasons we need to understand this today, one of, one of the primary reasons for the Old Testament is explained by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He says that the things which happened to the fathers, the, the Jews' ancestors, and all that happened to them and to Moses and beyond, verse 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have arrived. In other words, the Word of God has been recorded throughout history to show how God has dealt with His people so that we might learn and know how to live in Christ and for Christ today. Now that includes how we must deal with those who have crept in unnoticed and those who turn the gospel of grace into a license to sin and to deny Jesus by appealing to our flesh, by appealing to our feelings. You know, because false teachers muddy the water. We spoke last week about how false teachers don't run around with a placard saying, I serve Satan. No, they blend in as much as possible. And they muddy the water. They twist the truth. They obscure reality. They cloud the facts to appeal to your feelings, to appeal to your emotions. That's how Satan did it in the Garden of Eden. Satan twisted the Word of God to cause her to doubt the sufficiency of God's Word. He appealed to her desire for more, her dissatisfaction with the one who created her, her dissatisfaction with what he had provided for her. And Adam is just as guilty in that, by the way. She gave to her husband and he ate the fruit and humanity died spiritually that day. And as I stated last week, the devil is still at work with that same false gospel, indeed, has God said. And we need to be reminded of how to deal with it, beloved, because false teachers, uh, they're still doing it, and those who follow after them are doing it. And what God is doing about it, just as Jude writes in verse 5, he, he starts to give us Old Testament examples of how God has dealt with this in the past. We read again, Now I want to remind you, Though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. He says, though you know all things, or, or better, since you once knew this, or, or since you have known this. You know, these Jewish believers, they, they knew. They knew the truth. They knew the scriptures. And perhaps now they had forgotten what God had done. So they needed to be reminded they needed to be reminded of what? That Jesus, having once saved a people out of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus destroyed those who did not believe. We don't think of Jesus as a destroyer. Beloved, he is a destroyer. 
Now let's quickly see something about that. My translation said Jesus did the destroying. Your translation may say the Lord. Be clear this morning, beloved. That's just a translation preference among those who, who looked at manuscripts and made different translations. But but the scriptures are agreed because if you either say the Lord or you say Jesus, you are talking about the same person. Jesus is the Lord throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament, but that's an argument for another day. I'll make that argument a little bit later on today. But uh, English translations may be split, but theologically it's, it, it's not a big deal. Jesus is the Lord. So Judah's very clearly saying that it was Jesus who destroyed those of Israel who came out of Egypt and didn't believe. Now you ask a question, wasn't Jesus born over 1,400 years after the Exodus? Well, if you mean as a man, sure. But we know that Jesus is eternal. We know that, that and, and if you don't understand that, beloved, understand that today because you don't understand Jesus if you don't understand that. Our Lord and Savior did not come into being in the virgin's womb. Our Lord and Savior never came into being. He has always been. Only His humanity was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus has always been and will always be because Jesus is God, very God. He is just as much God as the Father. In fact, in John 1, 1 through 3, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The, the Word is Jesus. You know, you ask, well, He... I didn't hear the word Jesus in there. Well, the word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, 14, just a few verses later. He's talking about Jesus. He makes that very clear. So that same Jesus destroyed those who came out of Egypt but did not believe. And that's not the, the Jesus many tried to describe. That's not the Jesus many vainly attempt to worship. The false teachers want you to believe in a Jesus who won't offend. A Jesus who is love. A Jesus who always comforts. One who visits the weak and the sick and the oppressed and brings healing. A Jesus who will accept you just as you are. So, so just believe in Him and He'll make everything alright and He'll make you feel good. And beloved, some of that is true. Some of what I just said is true. Some of what false teachers say is true. It's the other half you have to worry about. That's not all we read about Jesus. Yes, he's love uh, because God is love. And yes, he's a comfort. And yes, he makes strong the weak. And he comforts the oppressed. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. And, and why did he do that? Did he, did he do that just to hang out with them? No. He didn't eat with them to leave them where they are. He left them... To, to, to tell them you need to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. He, he accepts you where you are, but He never leaves you where you are, beloved. He never leaves you where you are. And He'll destroy you if you stay where you are. He'll destroy you if you don't believe in Him. And if that doesn't sound like the Jesus you know, check your Jesus and read Jude 5 again. He brought people out of Egypt through Moses. Remember, I mean, 
they came out by way of miracles we cannot comprehend, right? You, you look at Exodus, those chapters, from, from like chapter 7 to, to, to 13 or 14, and you see plague after plague after plague. And then he bleeds them out and they come to the Red Sea. And what are they going to do? Oh, no problem. He's just going to split the Red Sea so that they can walk across and so that the Egyptians can all be drowned. He, he delivered. He, he, he also, miraculously, by the way, provided them food and, and gave them victory over their enemies. So he delivered them. He provided for them. He gave them And still, when it was time to come into the promised land, 12 spies went in. 12 spies. Read it in Numbers 14. 12 spies. 10 gave a bad, fearful, faithless report, forgetting everything Yahweh had done for them in the not-so-recent past. And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were faithful. But the people believed the 10... And they didn't trust Yahweh. And let that be a warning to us this morning, beloved, because those people, those Israelites, were in very close proximity to the truth. Just as you are here this morning. In very close proximity to the presence of God, they were the beneficiaries of God's salvation of the nation from its enemies. But that earthly temporal salvation did not equate to true faith in God in the heart. So Jesus, the second person of the eternal trinity, destroyed those who did not believe. And then Jude goes on. And angels, verse 6, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So angels, God created the angels. And though angels don't need saving from sin per se, angels were in a place of peace with God in heaven, a place of honor and majesty. But if we study our Bibles, we know that Lucifer was not satisfied with God, with Yahweh. He was not satisfied with his place in Yahweh's economy. Uh, Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. So he rebelled. We, We call him the devil now. Satan, and he took a third of the angels with him. So Jude brings up this heinous act, these heinous acts by these rebellious angels, which you can read about in Genesis chapter 6. Rebel angels leave their domain and come to earth. They take on male human form. And they do that, not to put too fine a point on it, but to engage in intercourse with women. They rejected the the purpose and the place God gave them, so he sent them to another realm, what what 2 Peter 2.4 calls the pit, where they were delivered to chains of darkness being kept for judgment. That's very similar to what we just read in Jude uh, here. Uh, but, But notice that like Israel coming out of Egypt, these angels had a good beginning. They had proximity to the truth. They had proximity to the throne of God. And yet they acted in ways that took them out of God's place of blessing. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these gross sexual immorality, as these end sexual, gross sexual immorality, and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example 
in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, Jude's third example here is from Genesis 19, a very familiar passage, Sodom and Gomorrah. Even today in 2022, when people say Sodom and Gomorrah, people usually know what that means. Now, the, the Jewish readers would have, would, have, would have known this passage, but they had forgotten the lesson. So what happened there? Rampant sexual immorality, rampant perversion, rampant homosexuality, and, and Lot and his wife and daughters were living right in the thick of it. And angels came in, sent by Yahweh, because he had determined in Genesis 18 that he is going to destroy these cities. But, but Abraham says, God, can you, can you save the righteous? And that's a sermon for another day. But, but Lot takes the angels into his home because he knows what the people of that city want to do to them. But, so, so men of the city come, they start beating down his door because they want to engage in immoral and, and heinous acts with these angels who appeared like men. And that's what Jude calls that's what Jude means here when he writes strange flesh. They went after flesh of a different kind, literally. And, well, what happened? What, what, what did Jude say? God exhibited those cities as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. A literal preview of hell. Now, now think about our culture. Think about our nation. Think about the things our governments promote. Think about the things that the, the culture promotes. And how are we any better than Sodom and Gomorrah? God will judge, beloved. Jesus will destroy those who don't believe. So in verses 5 through 7, we see Jesus destroying Jews who don't trust in him. He, he's confining angels who rebel against him to, to chains of darkness. Then Gentiles... Also, Jews, angels, Gentiles, you have all kinds of, of, of people and beings being punished by God for rebelling against Him. And Judah's saying to these Jewish believers, you'd better pay attention, lest you not truly believe in our Master and Lord, our Master God Jesus. You'd better pay attention. Because the example in the Scriptures is one of Jesus not taking in the least lightly those who reject him. On the contrary, there comes the harshest of judgments. Jesus has judged those who rejected him in the past. Even so, in the next few verses, we see the present. Men still reject Jesus in the present, in the same way. Look at verse 8 again. Yet in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme Glorious ones. Jude gave these examples from the past. Now these these Old Testament examples, and, and now he says, you know, these men today they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting God the, the same way as before. Now don't overlook that phrase in the same way. It indicates those who creep in unnoticed and, and who look and walk and talk like Christians, who blend into our churches, our assemblies of believers. They blend in with the body of Christ. These men are equated to those faithless Israelites, those fallen angels, those perverted Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're equated with them in the same way. So we got to take them just as seriously. 
Beloved, if you think those Old Testament examples, those sins should be taken seriously, we need to make sure we're taking the sins today seriously. These dreamers who defile the flesh reject authority and blaspheme glorious ones. Dreamers, what does Jude mean by that? Well, the Greek word Jude uses here, dreamers, or though dreaming, is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's in Acts 2 when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. He said, But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. There's that word. So by by Jude using that same word, these false teachers, these dreamers, what they're doing is they are professing to bring forth new revelations. Revelations apart from what God Himself reveals. New revelations. Now, now beloved, there will come a day. There will come a day when prophets and visions and dreams and all of that will come back. There will come a day. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 describes that day as the time of Jacob's or, or Israel's distress. It's the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. It's what Daniel refers to in Daniel 9 when he's prophesying about the end times as the 70th week of Daniel. It is a very Israel-specific time, a very Israel-centric time focused on the Jews leading up to that day when they will finally worship Jesus as Messiah. They will finally mourn for Him whom they have pierced. But there will be seven years that God will be pouring out judgment until he eventually, until all, eventually all Israel will be saved. Again, another sermon for another day. But, but here in Jude, in, in our churches, he is equating those who purport to bring new revelation with those vile examples in the Old Testament. Why? Because ultimately, all sin presupposes to know better than God. Now, how does this happen in our churches today? What happens a lot of ways, but I'm just going to name a few. Christian books. Beloved, back when bookstores were a thing, Christian bookstores, back when Lifeway actually had stores, not too long ago, you couldn't go 10 feet without seeing books that supposedly had new revelation from God in them. Rather, it's one of those, I went to heaven and came back books or uh, one of those Jesus calling books and if I'm stepping on toes, sorry, but not sorry because the author purports to have words from Jesus that she's writing to herself and have you ever heard someone say, God told me? God told me. I've heard a lot of people say it. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who's ever said that is an agent of Satan. Because you know what? I can think of at least one example of myself saying it uh, a long time ago. But I will say this. You better be very, very, very careful around any preacher or teacher or so-called brother or sister in Christ who says such a thing. Because if you want to hear from God, 
Beloved, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God audibly, read the Bible out loud. Because that is where God has spoken. God has told us a lot of stuff, but it is all in the Bible. This is it. Dreamers, false teachers, false prophets. Jude doesn't stop there. They defile the flesh. Those who depart from that place of God's blessing, who show they aren't truly in Christ to begin with, they are inevitably immoral because they have nothing in them, no Holy Spirit, and as we'll see next week in verse 19, no Holy Spirit to hold them back from sin, to restrain their lust, their fleshly desires. <coughs> so they, def- they defile the flesh. They reject authority. That word reject isn't just about saying no to something or someone. In the Greek, that word means to destroy something established, such as God-given authority. In other words, they don't merely deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They are literally hell-bent on destroying Him and destroying His gospel and destroying His body, which is the church, and destroying His people. And I would include, since Jude is written to an audience that's primarily Jewish, the nation of Israel. They go after Israel, God's chosen nation. But what you'll never see, beloved, what you'll never see is false teachers, these who creep in. You'll never see them making much, if anything, of the lordship of Christ in anything they say or do. And and I might step on more toes here, but I've heard enough of this guy's sermons to know they aren't really sermons. And I've heard enough of this guy to say this without apology. That's exactly the type of preacher Joel Osteen is. That's exactly the type of pastor Stephen Furtick is. But those are easy targets. To a guy like me, at least. Those are easy targets to a guy like me. Because you never hear them talk about sin. You never hear them talk about judgment. Osteen throws in the word repent at the very end in the prayer he always tells people to repeat. But he never talks about it when he's saying whatever he says. But... But those are easy targets because they're out there on television. They've got multimedia, million-dollar, billion-dollar industries out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm much more concerned with the thousands of false teachers in ostensibly conservative Bible-believing churches who you don't know by name, and I don't know all of them by name, and who don't have these big platforms, but they infiltrate regular churches everywhere, and they're seen as good and trustworthy but they are deceptive and devilish in their teaching. And they're emphasizing what makes you feel good rather than what Paul calls in Acts 20 the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, by the way, that same chapter where he says, I mentioned it last week, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And how will they do that? But they won't preach the whole counsel of God. They won't preach the things that might offend. And if they do, they will gloss over it. They'll say that the Bible whispers about homosexuality. Really? A prominent Southern Baptist pastor who has recently held high office in the convention is famous for preaching that. And God will deal with that. But what ultimately that amounts to is rejecting authority. They deny Jesus by seeking to water him down. And they blaspheme glorious ones. They, they, they blaspheme glorious ones. They slander but don't respect the place 
of, of higher beings, which angels are. Beloved, preachers and commentators have, have different things to say about what Jude means here when they say blaspheme, glorious ones, or revile angelic majesties, as, as it might say in yours. But I'm fairly convinced that, that Jude is speaking here of those who would invoke the name of Jesus even though they aren't in Christ to score points with those around them, whether that be believers or unbelievers or whatever. They score points by invoking the name of Jesus or angelic powers to do something supernatural, to, to heal, to deliver. And Jude went back in time to make his point. Verse 9, he says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputing with the devil, was arguing about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, <clears throat> but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, that's not in the Old Testament. If you go looking for... I don't remember that in the Old Testament. It's not there. This is extra-biblical. Um, but we know it's the truth. We know it's the truth because the Holy Spirit inspired Jude to make his point by using it. Now, what we, now, what we know from Deuteronomy is that Yahweh Himself buried Moses secretly on Mount Nebo. And, and the reason for that is probably so that no one would dig him up and, and, and mummify his body and try to make him an idol. That's probably the reason. But this dispute took place. Michael the archangel, which is the most powerful angel and defender of God's people, and then you have the devil, the, the fallen angel Lucifer. And you know perhaps when Deuteronomy 34 says God buried Moses, it means that he assigned Michael the task we don't have more details to say that definitively, but, but what we do know is, is that's not the point of, that Jude's trying to make here. His point here is that even Michael respected the status and power of Satan, who had been God's highest created being before he rebelled. Michael didn't decide, I'm going to rain down judgment. I'm going to rain down combination, uh, condemnation. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And he's probably following the example of Jesus. And let, let me explain why I say that. Because there's a, there's a passage later on in Zechariah 3. We covered it a few months ago. We talked about it. In fact, it might have been covered right before we, we got here. It, it would have been before my family moved in here. But Tim uh, preached from Zechariah not too long ago. And in Zechariah 3, uh, the angel of Yahweh, who I will contend until I am proven wrong, is Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, but, but again, that's another sermon for another day. In Zechariah 3, even the angel of Yahweh doesn't condemn Satan. Because that's going to come later. But there, the angel says, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. So Jude's point is that even Michael respected angelic majesty and power. Even that of fallen angels but not, the, not even the false teachers who've crept in unnoticed to do that. And, and I'm going to explain why I think that's the case here. Because there's no shortage of people masquerading as believers today, and, and how are they disrespecting powers they don't, that are higher than them? Well, keep your thumb in Jude. Turn to Acts 19. This is the only place I'll ask you to actually turn otherwise today, even though I'm, I'm mentioning things all over the place. But in Acts 19, I'll give you a second to get there, but we read this in, in verse 11. And I'm going to read down to verse 17. 
Acts 19 verse 11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that cloths or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to invoke over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I implore you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now seven sons of one named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, subdued all of them, and utterly prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now let me boil that down to how that, that, that has to do with Jude. Jewish exorcist who did not believe in Jesus the Messiah. Some Jewish exorcists, they were attempting to invoke his name. They were invoking the name of the Lord Jesus, trying to perform their exorcisms, and we see how it turned out for the seven sons of Sceva. Naked and wounded. Beloved, here's my point. Those in our days might not have a demon-possessed man beat the the living daylights out of them. Those who attempt to to bring new revelation, those who attempt to to bring a word from the Lord that isn't in the the word of the Lord. They may not have someone come and beat the tarnation out of them, but, but compared to what God is going to do, they're getting off easy. The seven sons of Sceva got off easy compared to what God's going to do to people who supposed to speak for him. But don't. Jude turned his attention back to the present in verse 10. Go back to Jude. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. They, They blaspheme, they slander, they revile the things they don't understand. And what don't they understand? They don't understand God. They don't understand how he's holy. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand the gospel of grace. They don't understand, maybe on an intellectual level they do. On an intellectual level they do, but not in the heart. And so they conduct themselves in such a way as to be living mockeries of the Lord, infiltrating the body of Christ to spread their poison of doubt in the Word of God. Now Jude, like in 2 Peter 2, compares them to unreasoning animals who know the things they know by instinct. That word unreasoning is alagos, without a word. And Logos is, is the Greek word for word that... That's what's translated word back in John 1 that that I was reading to you earlier. They are without a word. And rather Jude and Peter were intentionally making a word play here. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was making a word play when he inspired Jude to write alagos without a word. These false teachers are without Jesus. They're without the word. 
They are like unreasoning animals. No matter how slick they are, no matter how smart they are, no matter how polished their presentation, no matter how many degrees they have, no matter how big their platforms are. Many profess to be wise, beloved, who become fools. And Jude says they are destroyed by these things. They're, they're blaspheme, they blaspheme, they slander, and it will catch up with them. It will catch up with them. So he says in verse 11, Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, they have poured them, for pay they have poured themselves into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So three more Old Testament examples. First Cain, the, the first child of Adam and Eve, the first child born a sinner after the fall. And, and he is the one who brought an unacceptable sacrifice before God. The, the implication from Scripture is that, that God had made it clear a proper sacrifice includes blood. We, we see God slay animals to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve in the garden. <clears throat> Abel brought a, 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 a worthy sacrifice. Cain did not. Uh, and God disregarded his sacrifice. But, but Cain chose to worship God in his own way. That's the point. That's what Jude's trying to say. They have, they have gone the way of Cain. Chosen to worship God their own way. And, and that's what so many people who creep in unnoticed do. They want to worship God their own way. They, they worship God in a manner He has not Himself prescribed in Scripture. And they lead others to do the same. Beloved, irreverent worship is rampant in churches this morning. It is. It just is. But God is watching. And God's just not accepting that worship. If we believe Scripture, we, we, we have to conclude God's not accepting irreverent worship. But next, they, they pay for, for pay. <clears throat> they have poured themselves into the air of Balaam. This is from Numbers. Going from like chapter 22 to 31, we, we get on and off this account of a man named Balaam who was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse Israel. And Balaam comes up with this plan to, to draw Israel into idolatry. And I'm not going to recount the whole story, but suffice it to say God used an angel and He even used a talking donkey to stop Balaam in his tracks. See, Balaam was a prophet for hire. He's selling himself to the highest bidder. So in, in that respect, he's certainly a forefather of today's fake teachers. A, a great many of them share his satanic motives for, for wealth and prominence. The love of money writes Paul in, in 2 Timothy, or is it 1 first, first Timothy, I think it is, is a root of all kinds of evil, the love of money. So, so many false teachers are like that. But third, they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. That's from Numbers 16. Now Korah wasn't chosen to be a priest. And so what he did is he enlisted 250 men to rebel against the God-given leadership of Moses, and so he accused Moses of, of exalting himself. Beloved, one of the greatest tactics of false teachers will be to accuse faithful teachers who, you're, who, who may have a name of trying to exalt themselves. Um, I, I see this happen with a couple of guys I really respect quite often. But um, God, how did he respond? Do you remember? By opening up the earth and swallowing all the rebels. 
their households, their possessions. But even so, those who don't use this as an example, like Paul says, every so-called Christian who rebels against God-given authority, this is what happens. It happens every time a pastor preaches his own agenda instead of the Word of God. It happens every time a a teacher tries to water down the Scriptures in order to not offend, because what's that agenda? That agenda is to be nice. I don't want to be seen as nice. I I mean, if you think I'm nice, great, but I'd rather be seen as faithful than nice. It happens... Anytime we compromise the Word of God, it happens anytime a woman, sorry, but not sorry, anytime a woman gets into the pulpit and preaches. Because God's Word's clear. And, and I, I say that because there's a lot of confusion about that in churches today. But like with Korah, these who have crept in but still speak Christian, they have a following. But like Korah, God's wrath is upon them, <coughs> even if they don't realize it yet. So Jude sums up his argument about men rejecting Jesus in the present in verses 12 and 13. Look at that again. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without... I mean, just a litany of descriptives here. Uh, Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Let's just go quickly through each of these descriptors. Hidden reefs. What's the the danger of a hidden reef? The danger of a hidden reef is that sailors can't see them. Sailors can't see them. So they may break the hull of a ship if the ship goes over them and cause the whole ship to sink and everyone in the ship to die. A hidden reef. But there they were in Jude's day, right there in their their love feast, their, their regular church gathering that's not unlike you know, a meal that we would share. There they are without fear, with seared consciences, caring for themselves, certainly not caring for the people upon whom they are inflicting spiritual terror. They are clouds without water. that They promise to bring blessing with them, but there's nothing in them. They're clouds without water. They may look pretty in the sky, but they're not bringing any rain. Instead, they are just carried along by the winds, carried along by the winds of the culture, marrying those who follow after them to the whims of the unbelieving world rather than to the Word of God and the Gospel. They are autumn trees without fruit. You you expect the big harvest in, in the fall, but they are barren of genuine fruit. They are doubly dead because they don't produce genuine fruit. They're doubly dead. They themselves are dead, and the fruit they produce is dead. They, they are uprooted. There's no life in them. They're like, like when a, a strong storm comes in. I, I remember when, when Hurricane Hugo came in in uh, 89 and, and t- took down some trees in my neighborhood and and I ended up getting stung all over my face because of the bees that, that were all over the place that day. And nothing good comes from that. Uprooted, dead, nothingness, exposed for nothingness is what these false teachers will be. They are wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Water, and, and the sea in particular, is often used to describe judgment in the Bible. And, and those who don't know God, 
And the picture here is of, of wild waves and all you see is shame. All you see is shame. All you see in them is their heresy, their lies. They're going to be exposed, their rejection of biblical authority and their utter lack of fear. So they are also wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It's interesting that Abraham was promised his descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky. As many as there are uh, stars out there. And yet we see these heavenly bodies who appear to be stars. They appear to, from the outside and to many on the inside to be of the faith. But they are wandering. They are not staying in the place God has put them in. They are shooting off somewhere else. They are not in their proper place. And for them they disappear into the black darkness forever because there's no light in them. Only a destiny for judgment. Now I'm going to go quickly through these last couple of verses. But, but th- that's who these false teachers are. This is what becomes of them. Men, women who reject Jesus in the present the same way as the wilderness Israelites, the same way as the rebellious angels, the same way as the transgressors of Sodom. So that leaves us with the future. And in verses 14 through 16, we see that Jesus will ultimately bring about judgment in the future upon all who reject him. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. But Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, this is the Enoch from chapter 5 of Genesis, not chapter 4. Enoch in chapter 4 is the son of Cain. That's not this one. This is the Enoch who in Genesis 5.24 walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That sounds weird, right? God took him. We only know of one other person in all of the history of the Bible, who didn't die. God just took them. That was Elijah in 2 Kings 2. So what this is, this appears to be kind of a preview of of the rapture. One day Enoch was there serving God on earth, and the next day he was with God in heaven. And there's a book of Enoch. There's a book of Enoch. It's not included in the Old Testament. I've done a lot of thinking about the book of Enoch this week and preparing for this. I mean, Jude includes it here. The Holy Spirit has in, in, in... inspired him to do so. It, it is a book that was handed down orally from generation to generation, it appears, among the Jews for centuries and centuries until finally a couple centuries before Christ in that time in between the Old and New Testament. Someone actually wrote it down. And you can download this. You can buy the book of Enoch. Uh, it's not part of Scripture, but there are at least parts of it that are historically and theologically legitimate because Jude... Not, not only did the Jewish readers know about it, but Jude includes it here. He, he writes that Enoch, seventh from Adam, seven generations from Adam, also prophesied about these men, these false teachers, these hidden reefs, these, these who have crept in unnoticed, these wandering stars. He prophesied about them saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. Literally, His, his holy myriads. Enoch was probably referring to angels here, 
the book of Enoch includes a lot of information about the origins of demons and the, the Nephilim, which we read about in Genesis 6. So we referred to that a little bit earlier. The, he writes about the necessity, the flood. He was prophesying before Noah about the flood. He, he even talks about the return of Christ and the millennial reign to come. And I'm not saying that that book is scripture. I'm not saying go home and equate it with the 66 books God has given us. But I'm going to study it some more just so I, because I want to understand Jude better for one thing. But why is the Lord returning with his holy myriads of angels? This we do know for sure, and it is to execute judgment upon all. And all of who? All those who reject him. The wild waves with their unholy foam. Jesus and his angels, beloved, are coming to notice the repetition here, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. That's three times and then four. And all of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. All things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Beloved, those who would come up against Jesus and up against the faith once for all handed down to the saints, we can rest easy in Christ knowing that judgment is certain in God's timing. Jude closes this section with emphasis in verse 16 unless he just brings focus back to the present. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust, and their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. Real quickly, grumblers. That's the same Greek word. It's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. It's the same Greek word that Jesus and, well, that's what Jesus and the apostles, and they quoted from that, that translation all over the New Testament. And the word describes in the Old Testament the same way the Israelites grumbled against Moses, against Yahweh. That's who these false teachers are. They are grumbling against God. They are finding fault. They're complaining about God's character. They're, they're not talking about certain parts of God's character, like judgment. They're complaining about God's ways. They complain about God's law. They're complaining about God's holiness. They're complaining about God's lordship. And they don't do it in the... In, they're not like... Remember, you have to be wise to see this because they're unnoticed. They're speaking Christian when they do this, and so you really have to pay attention to what they're saying, and you have to measure it against the Word of God. The, the Bereans in, in Acts 17 were more noble-minded to the Thessalonians, according to Paul. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures to make sure the things Paul was saying were actually true. But, but they complain. They find fault. They follow after their own lust. They follow their desires. They follow after their feelings, what they want to do. They speak arrogantly. They twist the Word of God without a second thought. They lead others astray without blinking. They flatter people for the sake of their own benefit. They do whatever it takes to convince people that they are for them. They do whatever it takes to trick them into doubting the Word of God, to take their eyes off of Jesus, off of the Word of God, off of the, off of the sufficiency of the Word of God, off of the gospel and how that has to be the main thing. Paul says it's of first importance. The gospel. 
and they'll they'll add other things to the gospel, like um, you know whatever the 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 cause of the day is. We see that a lot today. They flatter people so they continue to be influencers, to, to continue to have their platform, continue to make money, continue to make false converts, and ultimately to continue to serve their father, the devil. These are the characteristics of false teachers in every age. And Judah's making that clear in this very short but very huge letter. And we can rest in Christ this morning knowing that the judgment of Jesus upon all those who are against Him is certain. It is coming. But until then, we have what we read last week. We have a command to keep. <coughs> we must continue to contend earnestly for the faith that has once for all been handed down to the saints. And we've read about that We've read about what we must contend against. I talked last Sunday about how sometimes the fight comes to us. Well, beloved, if these verses don't make it clear, let me just reiterate that if you're in Christ, Satan is always bringing the fight to us. He always is. False teachers may promise a lot. They may make you feel a certain way. Make you might make you feel warm might make you feel emotional, might make you feel good. They may impress you. They might move you emotionally. But ultimately, they are, they are spiritually dead. They are spiritually empty. And Satan is using them to try to bring us to doubt Jesus. So we have to be ready. We have to defend ourselves. We need to be on the offensive as well. And the only way to do that, this is it. God has spoken in the Scriptures, and if you claim to be a Christian and don't avail yourself of the voice of God in His Word, you are leaving yourself exposed to those who creep in unnoticed. You are leaving yourself open to getting carried away by the wind like one of those clouds without water. And and the only defense against false teachers is the truth. And the one who is the one and only source of authoritative divine truth and and what He's given us, and it's this. Even if you're not a pastor, you still need to do what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. You need to work in the Bible. As a workman who need not be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. If we are not about everything his book says, we are wandering stars and we will end up in the black darkness. It's not about, you know, if we are not about everything the Bible says, we will eventually compromise. We've already compromised. May it never be. May it never be. We are up against a lot, but greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. We must contend for the faith. But you also have to know that if God hasn't made you alive, you can't. And so you also, and you need to know, you need to go back to that which is of first importance. If you're not clear on that, none of this other stuff matters. 
Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And I pray you believe. And if you have questions about that, ask the questions. If, if you're holding back, get over that pride. And ask the questions and become clear on the Gospel. And believe. And if you need help in understanding that, you know, now's the time. If you are watching us through the miracle of technology on Facebook Live, thank you. I'm glad you've joined us, but but join us here too. Join us sometime soon because uh, we want to help you. If you have questions or comments or prayer requests or whatever, please let us know. But for those here, I know that according to my clock here, you've been listening to me blabber on for an hour. And if you're mentally fatigued, I don't blame you. But I've covered a lot of ground this morning because we need to know this stuff. We need to be certain about this stuff. We can't be apathetic about this stuff if we love the one who is the truth. A lot of biblical references, the gist of it is that Satan's at work through people to try to get us to doubt this. And we must become passionate about this, the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into a time of commitment, I pray that through your word, you will guard us against the infiltration and the influence of those who are under the power of the devil, of those whose agendas are from the darkness. Instead, Father, through Jesus and through the scriptures, Lord, you tell us the scriptures are the lamp unto our feet and the light into our path. They lead us into the truth and not darkness. Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And if there be anyone here who needs to come to you by faith, I pray you would grant to them that faith today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.